0: Welcome to a special edition of the Middle East File, presented in collaboration with the International Religious Freedom Summit. Today's episode is part of the IRF Summit Authors' Corner and was recorded live at the IRF Summit 2022 in Washington, D.C. To learn more about the IRF Summit and to find the full video version of these interviews and much more, visit irfsummit.org. Now, on to today's episode of the Middle East File.
1: Hello, my name is Todd Heisinger, and I'm the senior fellow for Europe for the Religious Freedom Institute. I'm honored to be here as a part of the Authors' Corner interview series that RFI is doing. And today we're going to be interviewing Ariel Del Turco and Lila Gilbert, two of the co-authors of a great new book, Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. So let me begin by giving you a little bit of a little bit of background on Ariel and Lila. Um, Ariel is the assistant director of the Center for Religious Liberty at the Family Research Council. She's responsible for international religious freedom policy and advocacy efforts. She has she holds a master's degree in government with an emphasis on international relations from Regent University, as well as a bachelor's degree in politics and history. She's Um, written widely for a variety of publications and uh, really glad to have you here. Thank you. Um, And we also have Leela Gilbert here. Leela is the Senior Fellow for International Religious Freedom and Coalition's Coordinator at the Family Research Council, where she brings a lengthy record of advocating for persecuted believers and addressing current-day faith and freedom issues. Leela writes and speaks about the intensifying persecution of Christians anti-Semitism, and abuses of religious minorities across the world. Leela has authored or co-authored more than 60 books, including Saturday People, Sunday People, Israel Through the Eyes of a Christian Sojourner, and Persecuted, the Global Assault on Christians. Her work has also appeared widely in a variety of publications, and Leela, we're very glad to have you here. So we're talking about this book, Heroic Faith, Hope Amid Global Persecution. Now, I know that um, the persecution of Christians especially is growing throughout the world. Um, so how did you go about writing this book? What is, how, would you, how would you summarize the book?
0: It's an overview of the worst-case scenarios in the world. We've tried to focus on the cases that are most relevant to the issue and how they're growing and increasing. We divided it into different uh, regions of the world and countries in those regions. that would be we looked at Asia and of course China and North Korea, looked at the Middle East, we looked at Africa, and then we had a chapter also on Afghanistan because of the current issue there. Mm-hmm. So it's divided up that way and we just approached it by looking at cases of real people and what happened to them and then explaining what underlies that problem.
1: Yes, and I I I like I, I suppose it's very easy for me to say, living in the United States, but I really like the fact that you've entitled the book, Hope Amid Global Persecution, because that's what the Christian faith is all about, isn't it? And it is amazing, is it not, how Christianity has survived and thrived amid persecution ever since its advent. And so um, please tell me a little bit about the hope aspect of the
2: book. You're exactly right. I mean, people can maybe be intimidated to approach a book about Christian persecution just because it is such a heavy topic. such so hard to read sometimes and listen to and hear about uh, the real experiences that people are facing all the way around the world. and uh, It can be very discouraging, but we really, through our research in a lot of countries, really found this thread of hope in that Persecution is not going to eliminate the church. It will not crush the hope of the gospel. Um, we just had a breakout panel today where uh, Bishop Jude Aragondade spoke. Uh, a bishop from a very difficult region in Nigeria right now, mm-hmm. where one, in one of his churches, in just one attack alone, 41 people were killed on a Sunday. Amazing. So he's been through so much, and yet what he said was that persecution is never going to eliminate Christianity. We will still be Christians because we believe in this message, we believe in the hope of the gospel. So we find that thread all throughout the world and so that's where we find the hope and why we included it in our subtitle. That's
1: excellent. And, you know, as, as I have as I see it, I mean, I work mainly on Europe issues. So I don't know as much about the parts of the world where persecution is very, very severe, which you have concentrated on in your book. but. Um, you know there's kind of two types of persecution and you've already mentioned China and Nigeria and actually as far as I know, those are examples of two different types. There's government persecution, which is the main problem in China and then there's cultural persecution or persecution by members of a different religion or different religions as is the case in Nigeria. Could you talk a little bit about that, the difference between government persecution and let's say cultural persecution?
0: Well I would say that a good example is the contrast between Nigeria and China but I would also say that the governments also turn a blind eye sometimes Mm -hmm. so it becomes supported in a in a sort of strange way by them turning away and not addressing it and there are many issues that are blamed for that. But we see that very much in Nigeria, where the government, in fact, uh, President Trump actually addressed this issue with the president of Nigeria and said, are you doing anything about this? And President Buhari just sat there and did nothing, and, and it's gotten progressively worse. Whether he is complicit or whether he is simply turning a blind eye, we don't know, but we suspect that he's complicit because of his own orientation religiously.
2: Yes. I I just, sorry, I also want to add that they often feed each other. Uh, We find that in uh, circumstances of government persecution, like in Pakistan with blasphemy laws, Mm -hmm. we find that it also breeds this uh, social discrimination and honestly attacks, mob violence against Christians across Pakistan, in part because they have the excuse of this blasphemy law on the books. And then we also see in China, I was speaking to a Chinese Christian recently and she was talking about how it wasn't just that um, she was a pastor's kid, uh, her father was a house church pastor and he was imprisoned. But it wasn't just the government doing the persecuting. The community, when they, found, when they saw uh, her father go to prison, uh, really kind of bullied her and her family and uh, blamed her father for being in prison rather than the law. So we find that they often feed each other. Yes,
1: that's a, that's a very good point. Um, uh, things often come from the top down, right? And the top is the government, basically. I know that in your book you also talk about the U.S. government and what it has done and could do in order to alleviate the problem of global persecution. Could you give me some examples of that?
0: Well, one of the things that we've talked about, and, and you may know more about this than I do, but the country of particular concern is a designation that the State Department makes on certain countries. And that means sanctions and more severe um, prices are paid Mm -hmm. Um, and we've seen this happen where it was designated at one point and then for no explanation it was removed that happened in Nigeria it's also happened in other countries but that's the strongest thing that can be done and that has to go through lobbying, it has to be us talking to the government saying, look, look what's happening here. And it requires some political pressure on our, our part. It depends on the administration as to whether they are concerned about Christians, because what we do is generally about Christian persecution, although we are concerned about others as well. But that's our general uh, focus. So it's not so simple. AS IT MIGHT BE TO GET SOMETHING DESIGNATED AND THEN REDESIGNATED yes. BECAUSE IT DEPENDS ON THE MOOD OF THE ADMINISTRATION. YES.
1: YES. Yeah. SO WHAT COULD THE UNITED STATES, IS there ANYTHING IN GENERAL THAT THE UNITED STATES COULD DO BETTER um, THAN IT HAS OR THAN IT NOW IS? What, HOW COULD IT IMPROVE?
2: Well, we find that the law on the books is, is actually quite good as far as a government in the West that is focused on uh, combating persecution abroad. We have the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998, and that really created a lot of mechanisms for the U.S. government to address persecution in other countries, like the country of particular concern list, as Leela mentioned. But a part of the problem is, and Leela alluded to this, is that the government, especially depending on the politics of the day, uh, doesn't always follow through and really use the law to its full potential. So even on the country of particular concern issue alone, there are probably more countries that are of particular concern than are on the CPC list. But even for the countries that are on the CPC list, most of them receive complete waivers from all the consequences that they're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to have an economic penalty of some sort. Um, These are almost always waived um, with the excuse that it's in the national interest of America, but really uh, our leaders need to have a bit of a stronger commitment to enforcing this law. Yes,
1: yes. I remember that uh, Mike Pompeo, when he was Secretary of State, said something about um, that the United States needed to always raise a moral voice of advocacy for Christians and other religions that were being persecuted abroad. I wonder if that's one of our goals kind of in the religious freedom movement to get the United States to actually consistently follow through on that, you know?
0: Right, right, and not just for Christians. I mean, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, in Russia have been mistreated for years. And, And I believe Russia is a CPC. I don't think anything much has happened r- with regard to that. But yes, I mean, it isn't just for Christians, but we focus on that because we're a Christian organization and that's our calling. But I, I don't know how America would do that when, with atheism becoming such an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking in the name of God to an atheist country like China, it's laughable to them, you know? So I don't know how that would that would happen, but it, w- it would be wonderful if we had the courage to do it in spite of what the response might be.
1: Yeah. Um, you also talk in the book about individuals and what individuals can do to alleviate persecution. Could you uh, elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, we really wanted to bring this home uh, to the individual level. Uh, this can be a big topic and we're all experts on the issue, so we know the ins and outs, but we really wanted this book to be approachable to uh, the average constituent or the average American Christian. Uh, so we wanted to give them action items. We didn't want to just uh, give them a list of what's going wrong in the world, and we wanted we wanted to give them something to do. So the three main uh, points that we boil everything down to is just Uh, Pray, praying and remembering the persecuted. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I've heard from persecuted believers in these other countries that they want to know that people remember them. Mm -hmm. And even American pastor Andrew Brunson, Mm -hmm. uh, he spent two years imprisoned in Turkey. And one of the things he said while in prison was that it was such a great encouragement to hear reports that People were praying for him, people around the world, even people in China, a nation that also experiences persecution, they were praying for him. So we can do that. We can also um, advocate. Uh, We live in a democracy. We have elected representatives. But the thing about that is that they're not going to care about issues that we don't care about as constituents and we don't forcefully let them know that we care about. So, American constituents really need to be um, raising that issue more politically, and then also uh, just creatively engage. I I think there are a lot of ways in our normal life, probably more than we realize through social media or even word of mouth, that uh, we can let our friends and just people in our lives know what we care about. And that's really key to doing something is mobilization, even at the grassroots level and at an individual level.
1: Okay, so three main things. Pray, advocacy with your political leaders, congressmen and members of the Senate, and then get the word out, basically. Okay, that's excellent. Um, So I once heard from a Chinese Christian um, that they in China, Chinese Christians, were praying for us Americans, American Christians. And he said that they were doing that because they know that we have it so good both in terms of religious freedom and in terms of material well-being and peace and so forth that it's a great temptation to get lax in our Christianity. Um, I don't know if that's in your book or not, but, uh, but I'd be very interested to, to, to hear what you have to say about that.
0: Well, I think it's absolutely true. And I think we've seen, even in, the, in recent years, the, the loss of interest, not only in international religious freedom, but in Christianity itself and a backing off and just a, a slacking. And I think they're right to pray for us. And I hope they are praying for us, because I think um, secularism has become a religious issue. Mm-hmm. It's become a religion of a sort and it carries with it some morality issues that are polluting our schools and everything else. So we do need prayer, but I think as we look at other Christians, from our point of view, it helps us be stronger to see the courage that these people will die with a knife at their throat before they'll deny their faith. Amazing, yeah. I don't know, I, I, I just am in awe of that, and I've seen it over and over, and we've seen this story, and we heard it today. Mm-hmm. that you know they will not change so I, I I think they inspire us and I'm glad they're praying for us as well because we need it
1: excellent so so Lila you just uh, alluded to what was going to be my next question I'd be very interested to hear from both of you uh, how your faith has grown through writing this book and through your advocacy for persecuted Christians and your knowledge in getting to know persecuted Christians
0: well, for me, as I said, it's, it's challenging. It's also, I find myself wanting to detach when I pray for them and I'm not, I think spiritually I've, I'm in tears sometimes when I try to pray for these people. And I think that's the work of the Lord in my life. I think I've learned to harden myself over many years of things going on. And the more I pray for Nigeria, for China, for North Koreans in these horrible places, I'm moved to tears, and I think that's, I'm, I'm encouraged by that because it's not my nature. It's easy to detach, but I think the Lord's really done a work in me to soften my heart.
2: Yeah, as Leela mentioned, it, it's very convicting to hear their stories yes. and to hear what they'll die for. Uh, so that's certainly been convicting just to make myself, to ask myself that question, like what, do I have what it takes to get to that point? Uh, If it costs me everything, would I still boldly profess the gospel? But then also it's just interesting to think about how much we need each other. Uh, Lila talked about our Christians in China praying for us. That's important and we should be praying for them too. They certainly want that. They have a lot to teach us. I think we in the West, uh, really ignore that to our detriment what they have to teach us. Even I remember at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, I often pointed people to, okay, what have churches in China do? do Because uh, they were already dealing with the pandemic and have dealt with pandemics. What did they do to um, continue practice th- practicing their faith and uh, continue uh, holding church services? So we have a lot we can learn from them.
1: Yeah. So, so we really want people to read this book. Um, and so could you give us just one taste to end the interview kind of, just one taste of a particular story that you tell in the book. You don't have to tell the whole story, but the story of a particularly uh, inspiring, moving, difficult situation.
0: Well, I would, I would speak about Leah Sherbu who was 14 years old when she was kidnapped by Boko Haram in Nigeria. And all the girls that were taken, and there were several hundred, were released because they were Muslim. And she was the only one that refused to convert. And she was kept in to this day, remains in captivity. And this is a 14-year-old girl. And you think about teenagers here in, in our world and I still am awed by her. She's another one that brings tears to my eyes because she now has two children by her captors. My and we've just celebrated her fourth year of captivity. So that story to me is so amazing. First of all, that she kept her faith and, that, and I pray she's kept it through the whole thing. I, I, I just don't know what it must be like for her. That's a very moving story for me. Yes, absolutely.
2: For me, I might point to the story of Ji Hyona, a North Korean defector. She escaped from North Korea into China three times, two of the times she was caught by Chinese authority and sent authorities and sent back to North Korea. And of course, for defectors who are returned to North Korea, they are going to a prison camp, they're going to be punished harshly, and if they Uh, catch any word that uh, you were associated with Christianity in China, you are in trouble. So she, in one of the times that she was forced back into North Korea, she was pregnant and North Korea does not accept uh, mixed children from half Chinese parents, which this would have been. Uh, So she underwent a brutal, very brutal forced abortion. But yet, in the middle of that forced abortion, in the middle of surgery, without uh, painkillers, she experienced a very powerful move of God that really touched her heart. And I won't tell the whole story because I want people to buy the book, but uh, deeply, deeply impactful to hear what these people go through and um, how they hold on to their faith.
1: Yeah. And these stories are happening all over the world, and they're happening as we speak to we could say millions of oh, Christians. Million, yes. Multiple millions, yeah, yes. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for doing this interview. Um, I think the book is highly recommendable, um, And I just want to say, um, please pick up this book: "Heroic Faith: Hope Amid Global Persecution." Thank you so much for being here, Leela. Thank you, Ariel. Thank
2: you so much for having
1: us. Yes, and thank you for listening. The Middle East File podcast
0: features conversations with authors about publications on a range of issues impacting religious freedom in the Middle East, including governance and security, humanitarian assistance, geopolitics and foreign policy, human rights, and much more. To find more of these conversations and to learn more about the work of the Religious Freedom Institute, visit RFI.org.